this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Kyle Davies from Three Arrows. Kyle recently uh, started the firm with a partner, Kyle Keem from uh, Credit Suisse, um, and started uh, Three Arrows, which was going to be a fund, but uh, he and his partner were very successful in trading different markets, including FX and crypto, and have now launched a 15-person prop trading firm. And so this is going to be a discussion about the markets and about what's happening out there. Uh, there was narratives around the U.S. and China trade war, how it could affect crypto markets, what he's seeing uh, from volatility and from different pieces of the crypto market. So this is going to be a great conversation just to hear kind of global macro and get conversations and, and discussions around that. So please remember that nothing on base layer is investment advice. So please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation that we had with Kyle. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Kyle Davies from Three Hours Capital with us. Kyle, how are you today? Doing great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So I have seen you know Kyle, and I've seen his partner and others you know, kind of within the crypto ecosystem uh, talking about kind of traditional finance as it relates to the asset class. And so upon digging a little bit more, it's been really interesting to find Kyle's background. Kyle spent time at Credit Suisse, and then he uh, and his partner uh, formed Three Arrows Capital. And so we're going to find out exactly what they're doing over there and about and their exposure and their interests within the asset class. But Kyle, if you can walk us through uh, kind of, you know, as I mentioned before, you came from traditional finance. Tell us a little bit what you did at Credit Suisse and then why you uh, formed Three Arrows. Yeah, sure. Uh, appreciate that. So um, I guess I'll start. I, I, so I went to university in the U.S., and um, moved straight out to, uh, I got a, a, a derivatives trading job at Credit Suisse straight out of school and graduated. Uh, I, I actually did a, a summer internship in the peak of the bull market in, uh, right before the financial crisis in 2008. Um, everybody got jobs and then uh, graduated at the bottom of the bear market, right in the, uh, the, the, the crux of the uh, financial crisis. Um, and was given um, one of the most crazy offers that you could hope for as a college student. Uh, they said, uh, your job is here. You need to go on vacation for a year. We'll pay you two-thirds salary to take a vacation. And uh, this was just about the best news I've ever gotten at that time. Mm -hmm. So I was very keen to do that. Um, ended up happening that I got called back uh, six months later. Um, but I started in uh, in Hong Kong at Credit Suisse as a uh, derivatives trader. And I was there for about three years. Um, so so after uh, being th there on a derivatives desk, I got to see a bunch of different products. I saw FX, futures, uh, options, uh, some more exotic structures. And um, uh, it was a great experience. I really enjoyed uh, working with everyone there, learned a lot. Uh, but it became clear after a certain point that I wanted to do something on my own, um, or at least wanted to have a shot. And I thought it was the right time. I had a, a, enough experience to try something. Um, and uh, Sue and I started Three Arrows, started in uh, 2012. So 
we had a rough idea of what we wanted to do, but it wasn't it wasn't exactly clear what the strategy would be. We knew we we knew the genre of what we were going to be trading. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, but we moved from Hong Kong to San Francisco, set up shop in a two-bedroom apartment, trading off the kitchen table. And <laughs> the idea was we were going to raise U.S. money, trade Asian markets, um, and uh, we had uh, pretty good returns uh, our first couple months. And it became clear we wanted to take no money and trade our own money. Um, so hmm. we, 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 we did take a small investment at first. We returned it about four months later, um, but uh, ever since we've pretty much just been running our own money. Um, and we today we run uh, fifteen. We've got fifteen people here in Singapore. Uh, we trade uh, FX futures, other derivatives, and crypto as a prop trading firm. Wow, trading on your kitchen table—that is a very kind of Steve Jobs going back to like the founding of Apple or Bill Gates. That's going from your garage to your kind of kitchen table. I kind of like that. That's a that's a good story. Um, and so let's find out a little bit more about what Three Arrows is actually. So give us the kind of the who, the what, the why. What are you guys doing there? You just alluded to obviously fifteen people there and different strategies. What are those different strategies? Um, how are you kind of uh, looking at different markets? What geographies are you hitting? I know you guys are kind of global macro. I know that you know you have the, I guess you can say the luxury of being in a region that gives you a lot of information um, in and around in itself. So give us the who, the what, the why of, of Three Arrows. Sure. So um, from an investment thesis perspective, uh, we're much more of a prop trading firm. So uh, somewhere between high frequency and mid frequency, I would say. Um, so for FX, we're market making um, on all FX venues. So FX trades in New York, London, and Tokyo. You can cross-connect from a server and connect to uh, various um, exchanges, ECNs, counterparties, and you can provide uh, liquidity, take liquidity, and that's 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 our bread and butter. Um, in addition to that, we run uh, futures trading. Uh, business as well, which is trading uh, on the FX side, we're trading FX futures versus each other and versus spot. So we're looking at uh, interest rate curves and looking at uh, various inefficiencies across different markets. Um, Maybe as an example trade, we would look at our our very first, uh, you know, structured desk, which, um, you know, has been one of our best performers for a long time, was trading the Indian rupee. Um, so the Indian rupee, uh, right when we were starting, um, launched uh, the first offshore future. Uh, this was in Dubai. It was in the on the DGCX, and uh, soon thereafter, Singapore SGX, uh, CME Chicago um, had uh, futures as well. And what you could do is you could trade uh, Indian rupee as a non-deliverable currency. So you can't, what that means is you can't just walk across the border with Indian rupee. Uh, If foreigners want to hedge their exposure, they can't just hedge in the local currency. What they need to do is they need to trade a non-deliverable forward, which means it's a forward that settles into dollars. So you can Mm -hmm. still hedge, but you're just not touching the onshore market. And and what we were able to do is we were able to trade uh, those forwards against the new futures um, and we could trade that whole complex against each other. And we, we even had an onshore entity to trade the India side as well. 
Um, so that's kind of an example of a structured trade that we might do where we try to get access to every venue that offers, you know, this currency uh, and, and trade them all against each other. Um, on the crypto side, we've also been active um, since 2013 doing a very similar trade. Uh, so we trade futures versus each other and futures versus spot looking at um, a curve. Um, it actually looks very, very similar to the FX market in, in the way that we trade it. Uh, so it's a pretty seamless transition for us. Um, so, yeah. And I mean, an example trade would be we're looking at uh, BitMEX, OKX, Huobi, Crypto Facilities, CME, futures, um, verse, or perp swaps versus uh, spot. And uh, because you're looking at the curve and you're looking at different venues against each other, you can also run a borrow and lending desk against that, which we do. Um, and because um, a, a, a future is nothing but an implied interest rate. So you can, right. you can run a borrow or, or lend against that. Um, and yeah, that's, a, that's another desk that we run as well. So talk to us about, so you started out in, two th- in 2013. And so that's now six years. And so Coinbase, for all intents and purposes, started around the late part of 2012. Um, and we haven't really seen institutional flows into the market until the last year or so, although the word institution has obviously gotten diluted. Um, and so, you know, going back from 2013, what was the... What was the infrastructure like? I'm curious. What was the infrastructure for, you know, it was probably just Bitcoin at that point in time. You know, how has it evolved over the last six years in terms of trading infrastructure? Yeah, very good point. Um, so today, I, here, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll give you the whole genesis of it, I guess. Um, in 2013, uh, this was all done in personal accounts. We didn't, we couldn't do it in our fund. We, we, so legally, we're structured as a, as a hedge fund. We're regulated in Singapore. Um, we could not do that in our fund. No, our administrator wouldn't take it. Our auditor wouldn't do it. Our, um, uh, and our brokers would not be comfortable with us holding crypto. Our banking would not have been comfortable with it. So it was just, it had to be done in personal accounts. Um, and uh, the credit risk that you were taking on exchanges was enormous. Uh, in fact, the futures exchange that we were trading on, um, uh, my business partner was, was doing it in his personal account a little bit bigger um, than I was. I was doing more on the spot side. He was doing uh, the futures basis. And the exchange that we were trading on actually went bankrupt. It was uh, ICBIT. Um, so, yeah, if you want to talk about uh, infrastructure, credit risk, <laughs> and I was counterparty exposure, it, it was a whole different ballgame then. Um, and today it's quite a bit different. I think, um, you know, you cer- certainly do need to price in credit risk of counterparties and exchanges. But, um, I, I mean, you're talking uh, several notches of, uh, you know, above the, uh, you know, the credit ratings that, that you would have been looking at before. Um, right. So, yeah, we, and, and then there's a lot more diversity to it as well. So today mm-hmm. um, we look at, a, a, you know, as a, a, a this particular desk looks at anything with a future on it. So that's not just Bitcoin, but that's, you know, a number of the top 10 coins or so. Um, right. And we can trade the futures basis. We can trade them against each other. We can also trade the the borrow and lend with that. Right. Back then, I should I should mention there was no borrow and lend. <laughs> borrow yeah, and well, lend uh, markets have really only developed in the past eighteen months. Uh, it's a right. relatively recent thing, um, and you've seen a blossoming of. Um, uh, I guess I can talk about the whole uh, structure here. So you've got anything from the retail side 
which is guys like um, BlockFi, Celsius, Nexo. Um, and what they're generally speaking doing is uh, if you're you know, an everyday person, you have a small amount of Bitcoin, you could lend it to them and they will relend that out to someone bigger. And that someone bigger will be me. Um, so, um, so we can do uh, relatively large tickets with them and we're borrowing on the back end of that. Um, and then there's also some, uh, there's some other brokers in the middle, guys like Genesis. Um, but at the end of the day, um, all this, this borrow or lend has to go to a principal trading firm, which is doing the futures basis trade because that's what's implying the interest to begin with. Um, so if you want to go from the retail to the wholesale market, basically it goes from, you know, from the, the first firms that I mentioned all the way up to uh, prop trading firms like us. I have a, I have a quick question. Um, and so we all know the happening is happening in the next six or so months, obviously the beginning of 2020. And so if you cut the supply um, and so of Bitcoin, um, and so do you think that actually has a positive or negative effect on lending? So with this notion, as you mentioned, with retail investors who could potentially you know put their Bitcoin position on BlockFi and then BlockFi lends it to someone yeah. like yourself, if there are if there is less supply and hypothetically more demand, do you think that's going to have a potential accretion? Um, so I, I don't want to make any price predictions here. No, um, but, no, no, um, no. <laughs> yeah, but I, so for, for, for us anyways, what the, the main driver of, uh, interest rates, uh, mm-hmm. in crypto, because there is no central bank, right? So there's no fed setting the, the benchmark rate here. What the right. main driver of interest rates is, uh, supply and demand of, yeah. of whatever the coin is. And in right. Bitcoin, generally speaking, uh, there's always sell pressure on the futures. Because there are miners uh, which need to hedge their, hedge, hedge their exposure. So because of that, generally speaking, um, if you were to do like an average of like, let's say, the past three years or so, uh, futures trade at a discount to spot, which means that if I'm a borrower, prop trading firm, I can borrow spot, short spot, buy future and lock in some sort of premium. Right. And then because of that, I'm willing to pay an interest rate to borrow the Bitcoin, hence driving the whole curve. Right. Um, in a bull market like we are having right now, um, all the futures are trading at premiums or in contango. Um, and that changes things a lot because now I don't necessarily want to borrow, you know, a, a, a one of these coins as much anymore because, you know, there's not as much I can do with it. Right. Uh, Bitcoin's slightly different. There still is an interest rate that we, we, we do borrow at for it, but something like Ethereum or Ripple, there's just nothing. There is absolutely no borrow for those coins right now um, because they're they're in steep uh, you know contango and uh, and, there, and there's an oversupply so there, there's just nothing to do really um, from from a borrow and lend perspective. Um, stable coins is the interesting thing right now. Stable coin, if you want to talk about borrow, stable coin is fascinating uh, right now. Um, there are three main drivers of this, but um, we're borrowing stable coins at up to double digits right now. Um, and the reason is threefold. One, um, DeFi um, has uh, subsidized a lot of this. So um, CDPs, for example, are uh, don't, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Ethereum projects don't want to necessarily uh, sell their Ethereum. They don't want to have a tax event. Um, they also don't, you know, they want to look good to the Ethereum Foundation, they w- but they want to hold their, their their Ethereum. So what they instead do is they lock it in DeFi and borrow DAI against that, right? And then they can spend it. Um, 
And that's a big subsidy, you know, uh, that's a subsidy for stable coins. The second reason is uh, Leo. Right. Leo uh, is the Bitfinex uh, token that raised $1 billion in uh, 10 business days. Mm -hmm. That was funded in Tether. Uh, so $1 billion of Tether has been used uh, specifically for a single project. And that dollar stablecoin has not come back into the system yet. It's um, uh, so it, what we need to see is we need to see more fresh fiat dollars come in and replace that, you know, that money, basically. Um, and then the third reason would be uh, we're in a bull market. So if people get their uh, dollars into crypto, um, rather than lend them at low double digits to me in stablecoin, they just want to own Bitcoin or they want to own Ethereum or they want to own something else. And so very few people are willing to put their fiat that they figured out how to get into crypto and then leave it there in stablecoin. That, so there's a huge demand basically on that. And this market's going to lag. The borrow lend market is going to lag the, uh, you know, any bull market run basically. Right. Uh, a few questions. Uh, with your purview, uh, you know, obviously geographically located, you know, there's been this notion because for the listeners, we're recording on a specific day where the Bitcoin market has been going parabolic and has had some pretty sharp volatility. Um, you know, last night, I think over an hour span, the Bitcoin price dropped about $1,700. And so, <clears throat> you know, it's recovered and then it's been, it's been pretty volatile. Um, but a lot of that volatility and a lot of that pressure, it seems, the demand side pressure, um, there's been speculation that it's been coming majoritarily from the Asia Pacific region, specifically China and Japan, from retail investors. Can you give us any insight into what the, the, the participants out there might be doing? Or is it geopolitical issues? Is it the US-China um, kind of trade war that's impending? Is it something to do with the Hong Kong protests where there's been some sort of an awakening? What's happening out there? Yeah, so, um, okay, the demand that we've seen is not out of Hong Kong or Japan. Those are pretty free markets. Uh, we have seen it out of China, um, where people, basically, they get their money into either Bitcoin or Tether. Um, and that's like the supply side, basically. Um, or, or rather, the, the demand side for uh, you know, either stablecoin or, uh, uh, or Bitcoin. Um, and then, but you, you know who had a really nice article about this two days ago is The Block. And they they put out a piece that said was talking about uh, what led this market move. And um, you should I would encourage people to read the piece. But basically, uh, you know, it, it, it showed that uh, the flow came from um, through Bitfinex. Bitfinex mm -hmm. was the market leader for this, um, which is, you know, pretty normal, actually, for for most of these moves. Um, but, yeah, there, there there's huge demand uh, for. Um, you know, from emerging markets for sure. And I think China is definitely one of them. In terms of going into this geopolitical kind of, you know, global macro discussion, <clears throat> because crypto is not the only thing that you guys are trading, what are you sensing right now? We, there's been some, in, you know, yield inversions here in the United States. There has been some, you know, some things that are fairly unsettling in terms of geopolitical issues. Um, you know, what are you sensing right now in terms of the global macro kind of, you know, footprint are we heading into a recession here in the United States? Um, obviously, these are not 
investment advice. You know, no one on basically yeah. gives investment advice. But you know, from your sentiment, from your obviously your experience, you know, coming from traditional finance to now, you know, do you get the sense that we're heading into rocky territory, or do you think that that is a story and a narrative that's just overhyped? Yeah, I mean, uh, so our our firm is a market making firm, which means we don't take views on the market really. Um, so, I mean, I could give my opinion here, but it wouldn't it wouldn't really mean too much, to be honest. Uh, we don't uh, we don't predict the market. We don't. What what we would rather do is we look at uh, you know an interest rate inefficiency, a forward mm-hmm. curve, uh, any sort of basis trade that we can do, and then we'll try to make make some some trades and some money around that. Um, but we don't, as a firm, take large views on the market. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally speaking, the climate does feel um, you know a little bit unstable and. Uh, volatility is always good for traders on bull and bear. So, um, I mean, it's good to see things moving. Yep. Do you notice more, um, you know, volatility specifically in other, is it, everyone talks about Bitcoin being the leader and obviously the dominance is, I think is above 60% right now. Are you seeing more volatility either implied or not in, in Bitcoin over the last few weeks? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, implied. So, okay. So the, the, there's, from an options perspective, there's implied and realized, and those right. uh, are across the board bid across everything. Um, from an options perspective, you can pretty much only trade Bitcoin. Um, there are the liquidity for everything else is, is minuscule, but um, but yeah, the volatility is uh, has gone up substantially in the past uh, uh, couple months. Mm-hmm. So I know, obviously, you don't make investment kind of predictions, and you guys are not in the kind of the market to you know kind of look on a forecasting birth side. Uh, you know, so basically, are there any trends from the interest rate perspective, from the derivative side, from the market making side? Are there any trends that you guys are noticing happening over the last six to twelve months that are interesting? Um, so the one, there are a couple. Uh, one of the ones that we're most involved in is the formation of borrow and lending markets, um, which uh, you can kind of think of as the front end of any fixed income curve, right? So, um, in you know, in dollars, the Fed would set a rate, and uh, there's an auction process, for, you know, that happens, and then there's also like the beginning of the curve, the back end of the, you know, of a borrow curve uh, or, or of an interest rate curve, and then also uh, you could price various credits on top of that, right? So you could have, um, you know, sovereign credits, you could have corporate credits, you could have uh, all the way down to junk, right? Um, in crypto, uh, it would be nice to see something like that. So right now, I think we're still working on the front end of the curve. And the front end of the curve for crypto is going to be, a, you know, basically a borrow and lending market, which sets the spot interest rate, you could, you could call it. Um, yeah. And um, the wholesale spot interest rate, I would characterize as wherever large prop trading firms doing the futures basis trade, wherever they are borrowing lending on scale. Um, and um, and then from that, you could you could sort of draw the curve out and you could look at durations and you could look at, you know, worse credits all the way all the way up. Right. Um, and. I think that's something that you're going to see a lot more of. You're going to see more credit derivatives. Uh, you're going to see um, some really interesting things coming out um, on, on that side. I'm aware of some exchanges that are listing some credit derivatives very soon. Right. 
And would you say that, you know, from your kind of operations, is it majoritively algorithmically done or how else would you be doing these kind of trades? Sure. So our, fir- our firm's always been a hybrid, actually. Um, and it's, I guess, maybe where I, we would derive some of our alpha from. So on, uh, if we're executing futures, um, we will always try to do so algorithmically. But if we're doing borrow and lending, well, that's on, that's on chat. Um, right. So it's almost like a broking. Um, and then if we're doing, um, you know, uh, spot or OTC trading, um, sometimes that's on chat. Sometimes that's algorithmic. It depends where we're getting the best price and how much size we have to do. If you want to do larger size, that's all done on chat still. Um, if you want to, you know, tee off smaller orders, well, that can be done algorithmically. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, our firm in general, if you wanted to characterize three arrows um, across all asset classes, we derived our alpha from being somewhere in the middle of, of that. Um, we're not the best, you know, high frequency traders. We're not the best brokers, but we can do both of them and we can market make a whole complex because we can set up entities and trade the whole complex together. And so would you characterize, you know, doing a lot of the, you mentioned, you know, doing some of the operations on chat, do you see that as, you know, eventually changing over the next few years? Is that Would you consider that still an inefficient market right now that needs to have more efficiency? Uh, not at all. Um, so FX is a pretty liquid market and we trade on chat all the time. Um, and the reality is, um, that, uh, you know, you, you would, you would think that as a market matures, it would be become more centralized and there would be like a single venue that would have the best liquidity for everybody. Right. But actually one of the most, um, you know, uh, um, diverse, um, ecosystems is us equities. Um, and FX in general, FX trades in three main places in the world, soon to be four. Singapore is adding a data center right now, uh, this year. Um, but three main data centers as of right now. And there's, if you want to trade FX properly, like as a trading firm, you need to, you need to set up a data center, all three of those data centers and connect to about 50 different counterparties. Um, so it is anything but centralized. Um, and then if you're dealing in size, let's say you're a macro fund or you're dealing on size, um, you know, you don't necessarily want to make the investment to set up all of those data centers connecting to all of those venues because that's the tech involved in that uh, is very expensive. And to trade a high enough volume to get on the best commission tier, it would be impossible for a large macro fund because a large macro fund wants to trade a large size. However, they actually don't trade high, very high volumes. High-frequency trading firms trade high volumes, right? So what a large macro fund would do is they would benefit from trading with another OTC counterparty um, who is on those best commission tiers uh, that does have all that access in place. And, and, and basically, it just depends on people's needs. And I think the same is going to be true in crypto. So um, you're going to end up with high-frequency traders that are connected to all venues on the best commission tiers, um, trading the best you know, tightest spreads. And then you're going to end up with people that, you know, want to buy uh, a large, you know, a large fund that wants to buy 50 million of, of Bitcoin today. And then they're not going to trade it for the next three months. And that, and that guy is not worth uh, his time to set up all the venues, all the tech, it like the cost and time. And that's not his expertise either. So what he should do is he should trade 
with someone who has. And that can right. be on chat, that can be on, on, you know, somewhat algorithmically, that can be on a single dealer platform, that can be on a GUI. Um, there are many ways to do that. But uh, basically, the market is always uh, diverse in that sense. And I think it will trend towards more diversity, not less. So again, not asking you for kind of forward thoughts or forward projections or um, kind of projections or predictions, but as the market is maturing within crypto, Bitcoin has now been around for 10 years. There's been this notion for the last few years until it started getting more uh, kind of notable that there was information asymmetry. Um, and there still is information asymmetry. And I think you know we've seen that happen over the last week or two. Everyone is asking everyone why the market is going parabolic and why it's gone from, you know, say 9,000 to 13,000 and, and such. And so there is still this kind of information asymmetry. So I'm curious as the market continues to mature over the next few years, again, not, I'm not asking for a project, uh, kind of a projection here, but from experience, if the, you know, with news, like you alluded to the block and other news outlets that are doing a great job dissecting the market with more uh, kind of technology, yeah. Do you see, you know, some of the inputs that give people more information about the market? Is that going to kind of compress the information asymmetry and potentially compress some of the alpha? Um, well, I mean, okay, so the guys at the block are lovely, but they, uh, they're not billionaires. So <laughs> I don't think they are, you know, you're not deriving alpha from that. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I think rather what's happening is you're just seeing – uh, you know, more information, more news, better insights. People are doing better chain analysis now. People are doing, um, you know, more exchanges are coming up and there's more derivative offerings. Uh, mm -hmm. I think options is, is, is something that's going to develop end of this year, beginning of next year. You're going to see a much more in the option space. Um, I think I think that's what you'll, you'll see. But I don't think um, that, you know, there, there's this notion of, uh, you know, the the shady whale in a room that's trading and making all the money and, you know, front running everyone else. I don't think that happens so much. I think it's much more, um, I, I think it's just a, a very, there are many, many ways to make money in this world. And, uh, and the, the same is true in crypto. Um, there's not just one way to, to, to do this. That's a great take. Um, so getting towards the, the top of the time uh, on the show, one of the things that we like to do with our guests um, it's just to get to know you a little bit on a more of a personal level. And if you've listened to the show, there are two things that we usually like to kind of get from our guests. If they listen to music, um, we like to kind of know what kind of music they listen to. For me, I think that's very telling about a person's personality. You know, if, you know, there's been guests who like classical music, there have been guests that like country music, there have been guests that like, you know, metal. Um, and so it, it, it's, it's kind of telling about how you actually, you know, maybe spend downtime or when you're traveling and how you kind of decompress and hopefully you do. And then in terms of reading, if there's anything that you've read recently or in the last year that's just kind of resonated, something that you talk to a lot of people about, something that you've always would suggest, would love to hear kind of music and then in terms of books that you've read. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, I listen to uh, different moods for different music, but um, I guess uh, one artist that comes to mind that I've been listening to a lot recently is uh, Warren Zevin. Um, great artist, had a, had a long career across a couple different uh, um, you know, uh, genres. And um, uh, he, he had a very nice story um, towards the end of his life 
where uh, he did a full show on Letterman. You, you can go watch it someday. It's wonderful stuff, and his music's phenomenal. Um, but yeah, uh, okay, and things that I like to read. Um, I like to consume a lot of content, um, not just reading, but YouTube and uh, uh, research reports and um, books and just any anything. I feel like the, the average crypto investor is probably sitting on their holdings for <laughs> a substantial amount of time and mm -hmm. not trading. And the rest of the time, they're just consuming content. It's all about content consumption. Um, right. And um, and yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I enjoy your podcast. I enjoy uh, a lot of the um, publications that come out. I think The Block does a wonderful job. I think there are others as well. Um, Okay. But yeah, I mean, there's nothing in particular that comes to mind um, okay. that I can recommend. Um, and so the other thing that we'd like to do for our guests is give them an opportunity. If there's a place where people can potentially uh, find you or find out more about Three Arrows, you know, please uh, feel free to let them know. Yeah, yeah uh, absolutely. So we've uh, so my business partner, uh, Sue Zhu, um, is quite active on Twitter. Um, and we he's got a blog as well on Common Core. Um but we also put out uh, research pieces from time to time. We, as a firm in general, we look at a lot of deals, um, but we're market makers, so we don't really like to, uh, um, to you know, to spray and pray. Um, that said, we only make four investments as a firm, um, and and this is not for investors. We have no investors. This is specifically for us. Um, and when we do this, we want to do uh, the entirety of the investment. We want to be semi-active about it as well. Um, so, um, so what that means is we will market make it, we will borrow and lend it, we will, you know, produce research pieces on it, we will start, set up group chats, we will try to spread awareness, I mean, we'll do everything that we can to support whatever, um, you know, we, we like. Uh, and the holdings that we have are, you know, at one year plus at, at a minimum, basically. Um, and the only four that we look at are uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, uh, Leo, and Polkadot, and that's it. Um, so if, if anyone's interested in any of those, um, we've got plenty of research on them, plenty of, uh, uh material, uh, chats, OTC, uh, market making, whatever you're looking for, um, you come, come find us and, and we'll awesome. have something for you. Awesome. So this was Kyle Davies, the co-founder of Three Arrows Capital. They are definitely working on some interesting things on the market side. Uh, interesting perspective. And again, I love talking to people who are not necessarily focused here in the United States, but have the audience and also have the pulse of the markets in Asia as they are becoming predominantly more and more important for the asset class. Kyle, thanks for coming on. Hopefully we can have you on again to touch base and see how things are going. And uh, we'll speak to you soon. Thanks, Kyle. Really appreciate it. Thank you. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on Layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage, at DavidJN79. 
let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, marketing commentary, videos, and more.